Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for February 11, 2015. Today's topic is around quality assurance. We did a one-minute survey, and we want to share the results with you around quality assurance, and that's what we're going to do today. Now, if you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. You can do it two different ways. Number one, probably the most common way to do it, is you can email me personally at brianbenchmarkportal.com. That's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Now, if you're listening on the phone, you can also call in and just make sure you press the number one on your phone to let me know you have a question, and I can easily get you in. The phone number to call in is this, 347-857-3117. Real quick, just once more, 347-857-3117. And of course, I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived on our website at benchmarkportal.com at any where you can listen to them any time of the day that's convenient for you. You're probably doing that right now, so thanks for coming by. So let's go ahead and jump into today's show, and let me introduce the host of Call Talk, Mr. Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic is quality assurance, and we're going to be hearing input from our one-minute survey results on quality assurance. And we brought an expert on the topic uh, for you onto the show, Dane Peterson. Now, Dane has been managing and consulting with contact centers for many years. She has experience managing and operating both business-to-business and business-to-consumer contact centers. And on her most recent management role as director of call center operations, she acted as the internal best practice and benchmarking consultant, leading employee satisfaction surveys, introducing Six Sigma for call center process improvement and design, and also implementing multimedia in the contact center, a big area these days. Uh, She is our colleague here at Benchmark Portal and is among our most experienced senior consultants, having audited and consulted for companies in virtually all industries. Uh, She also has a passion for education and instruction, and she served as the dean of our College of Call Center Excellence and is currently an instructor for the Quality Assurance course. Uh, She's really someone who understands call centers at a 360-degree level and knows how QA should really fit into the fabric of a well-run center. So joining us now from Minnesota is Dane Peterson. Welcome, Dane. Hi, Bruce. Uh, Thanks for that introduction. Uh, I have been in the call centers a long time, and this is one of the areas that I think is so important, and as you mentioned, weaving together the fabric of what we do in the centers, uh, this is one of the things that touches our customers, our callers, our agents, the management team, and it's a really important piece for us to make sure we get it right, not only for our agents and our callers, but what we can learn about our own organization and some of our processes uh, as we do that QA work. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's so true. I mean, there's there's so many moving parts in contact centers, uh, so hard to keep track of them all, and uh, QA becomes the grease that makes sure that the wheels turn properly. And uh, when it's not working well, boy, things really can, can get pretty creaky. So, so, Dane, to get a baseline, what do you see as the current state of quality assurance programs? 
Well, it's pretty interesting. Um, the survey that we did uh, late in 2014 and actually is still available, um, and by the way, everybody listening, you'll find this uh, in the description of uh, the uh, Call Talk episode. Um, and if you'd like to participate, there will be a URL there that you can go to or a method of accessing uh, the survey. We'd love your input. Uh, so anyhow, what we have seen is fully 25% of the respondents to our survey are still not happy with what the results are uh, from their current processes. And I think that number is probably pretty conservative. Um, we work with a lot of great centers, and a lot of those are the centers that responded. I think if we went out across all centers, all industries, we'd find that number much higher than 25% uh, with the leadership dissatisfied with how it's uh, working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, by the way, you mentioned that the survey is still open, so I would encourage everyone uh, to uh, take the survey, and also you will get the report as soon as it's done. So it's really great opportunity, uh, and I encourage everybody to take advantage of that. And so, Dean, they, can I just ask you, based on what you were just saying, uh, why do you think there are still so many who are, are not seeing the results? Well, I think probably first thing is it goes to uh, the uh, goals of the program. You know, everybody talks about it being about agent development um, for their center, and that's the first and most important but maybe easiest answer as well. But they don't have their agents listening. So 25% of our respondents still said that the agents don't hear their own calls. And for those of us who have managed and worked in centers, we know that that is really probably the most effective learning tool uh, that we have in our ongoing learning, uh, feedback, and coaching processes. I think the second mm -hmm. thing yeah. is, sorry about that. I think the second thing is training and the QA processes are not calibrated. So our agents may not be getting trained to deliver what we're evaluating their performance on. And then uh, the third point would be that we see, um, and we saw this in our survey results as well, that the QA analysts and, super, and or supervisors and managers uh, have had no training on how to deliver feedback or coaching. So what I've seen, you know, all through my career and now uh, uh, as we go out to centers is supervisors or managers are so pressed for time they grab the results, they walk into a huddle room or a conference room to have a coaching session without a well-thought-out plan, and they need to have that. And it, they probably don't know they need to have that without some of that training. And then I think the last and really important point here is nobody is using the caller satisfaction data or even their agent satisfaction data to look at the results being delivered by their processes. So I think those are the biggest issues uh, that we have to face in delivering the results that we're looking for. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, juicy points there. The, the first one, if I could just, uh, I was taking notes as you were talking, and uh, for those of you out there, the 25% of you that don't have the agents listening to their own calls, 
uh, really think about how you can implement that, get the technology and the processes in place to do that. I can remember talking to one uh, agent in a, um, a group setting, and I still remember she said, you know, I hate listening to myself. I don't like the sound of my own voice, which I think is true of a lot of us. And she said, but I got used to it, and at the end of the day, it made me a lot better agent. And uh, so being able to listen to the calls on the part of the agent is so important because it can also bring across some of the nuanced things when you're trying to coach them and get them better. So if you're in that 25% uh, group uh, among our listeners, you know, really think about how you can, can that get that going. Uh, great point on that, Dane. And then, uh, you know, with regard to the calibration, making sure that people are trained and who are doing the QA, the fairness issue comes up again and again and again in workplaces all over the world, but obviously also in uh, customer contact centers. And so if there's no standards for calibration and it's not done properly, then it really can create a lot of blowback and uh, bad results. And and so that means that really goes into the other things you were talking about, Dane, which are the training. Uh, we need to make sure that supervisors and uh, QA managers and analysts are properly trained for what they're doing. Oftentimes we kind of just promote people into positions because they've done a good job where they are, but then not give them training for their new, uh, you know, responsibilities. So, yeah, good good points there. All um, well. Dane, how should you use caller and satisfaction data to develop the most effective QA program, in your opinion? Well, I think that's a really um, an important point that we're missing in a lot of even good programs uh, have not taken this last step. And it's really about what is the outcome of the call. In our QA workshops, I, I talk about the big O. What is the big O that we need coming out of our uh QA processes. So what is the outcome we're looking for on these calls? And we need leadership to clearly identify and define what are those desired outcomes. And that's not often clear to the first-line management and sometimes not even to our agents through the training. Here's a perfect example. is We worked with a center uh, and uh, we've been working with them for a number of years. They had a great QA program, but it's an inbound sale. So they were evaluating many steps through the call and the caller experience and were they compliant with the processes, et cetera. But what was the desired outcome of that call? It was for a sale. But nowhere in the QA process or in the attributes being evaluated were, were the words, ask for the sale. They changed mm -hmm. their QA process, and now that is a very heavily weighted attribute, and their sales results increased pretty dramatically because everybody began focusing on what was that desired outcome. So you really have mm -hmm. to understand that. And then what are the attributes of the call that the caller experiences and feels like they've had a great experience on the call, then we need to make sure that we train to those attributes and we hold our agents accountable to those same attributes that are important to our callers and that really ultimately lead us uh, to those outcomes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's... No, I think, um, 
Well, among the, uh, the the messages we always give uh, to people is that you know they need to have a clear mission for their company that translates into a clear mission for their uh, contact center. And the outcome part that you were just underlining uh, and highlighting, I think, is, is so important because those outcomes should be in line with the missions and the, both the mission and the outcome should be really clearly communicated, and so often they're not. So one of the things that I'd encourage people who are listening to this is to say, uh, to ask themselves, can I uh, state what my mission is, what my corporate mission is? And, and number two, have I really stated to myself and to my people what the outcomes are that we're looking for? And um, and, and then it, it all flows into what you were talking about with the customer experience and as you know, I was just at a uh, an industry event where I gave a master class on customer experience mapping. And uh, one of the things that's so important with customer experience mapping is making sure that your supporting processes are really, you know, holding up the the customer experience. And one of the keys there is is uh, quality assurance. So um, I'm sure you see the same sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one question we often hear is, that, you know, how many calls should be evaluated? We hear that one all the time, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, everybody wants the number answered to uh, that question, and it's a really complex question. And I, uh, I, I kind of laughingly say when uh, a client asks me that question is, well, it's the typical consultant's answer. It depends. But what it depends on is so many factors in the center. So is my call length three and a half minutes or is it 20 minutes? Do I have a lot of compliance issues or not so much compliance? All of those things are play into uh, how many evaluations. And the sad truth of it is, is that we typically do as many evaluations as our budget and resources will allow. And that that's not necessarily the right answer, but... You know, having been in centers for 30 years, that's probably the real answer. Um, I thought one of the interesting things in our survey was that about 60% of the centers uh, that responded to our survey are doing five or more evaluations per agent per month. Now, that sounds like a really good number, but if your agents are taking 50 calls a day, that's about 1,100 calls a month. And if you're doing five to ten calls per agent per month, that's fewer than one percent of their calls that are being evaluated. So I think that's you know a bit troubling. Do we truly get a good sample? And we've all heard, well, Joey was having a really bad day, and so we're going to take that out of the equation. And that may be true, but it's uh, it, it's a difficult piece of it. And I think it's one of the reasons that we're seeing so many of the new options uh, for centers on how they're doing their evaluations. So many centers are dramatically changing their processes um, and using caller feedback for the more experiential parts of the call evaluation. So what I mean by that is when we're doing the post-call surveys, and giving the caller the opportunity to evaluate, you know, probably numerically their experience, but then also leave comments about that experience. We're using those evaluations 
uh, for the caller experience, all of those things about uh, how the caller felt, and then doing internal a compliance evaluation. So I think that's one part of it. Uh, a second part is the outsourcing. Um, there are multiple organizations out there now that are contracting with our centers uh, to do uh, outsourcing of the QA process. And, you know, that, that gets a little uh, questionable sometimes, it, uh, but it, it, it's effective for many organizations. And then I think the other change that I'm seeing maybe less dramatic is that the QA team is doing some number of evaluations, you know, hopefully five or more, um, for each agent each month. But the supervisors or managers are, you know, doing some number. Typically I'm seeing one or two, maybe as many as three evaluations of their agents. I think that's an important component because it helps the supervisor stay more in touch, and it also helps continue to keep uh, QA and operations more calibrated uh, with what they're doing in the center. But those are some of the issues around, you know, is it a three-minute call or a 20-minute call, and how many can I actually uh, uh, perform good quality evaluations on? Mm. Yeah, no, some big issues that you just uh, handled right there. And if I could just pick up on a couple of them, uh, there's the sort of the soft skills QA uh, and the compliance evaluation QA. So the, some people call the hard skills. And what you were saying is that uh, given the uh, products that are out there now for allowing the customer to give their input, on soft skills, that is, how polite was the person, how helpful was the person, that sort of thing. Are there an increasing number of uh, centers that are giving over that part of the QA process to the customer who will do it uh, for free, at least as far as their time is concerned, and, and hopefully in sufficient numbers that it, it will work out through post-call surveys that are either telephone or, or email on the soft skill side, and then uh, concentrate internally for their QA staff on the compliance evaluation part, the hard skills part, uh, which is usually the part, too, that is uh, somebody who's doing this sort of thing, you can hear and evaluate the first time through. I think uh, what a lot of people find is that they have to back up and listen again, not so much for the compliance stuff, but for, oh, gosh, how am I going to score this person on the soft skill side? So so that's uh, an interesting thing that we, we've seen and that you were talking about. And the second thing, which is a, a big issue, is why are we doing this? Is it for the coaching component of it or the evaluation of the agent component of QA? Because uh, they are very different things. And if you're thinking about uh, coaching, then, of course, you, you really would prefer to get calls that are problematic because they have teachable moments in them. Uh, and therefore, you're going to have the most bang for your buck in terms of being able to you know, uh, coach an agent in the proper way. But if all you have is the, the terrible calls <laughs> that are there, you can't really use those for evaluation purposes because that's not fair. And uh, so by the end of the year, hopefully you've got a statistically uh, defensible number of random calls that really show overall how the agent is performing. Uh, would you agree with those uh, those points, Dave? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so this is really cool stuff. A lot of people um, are, are 
that we see kind of miss these these major points, but they're important for the uh, for the agents, for the customers, and really for you know proper functioning of the center. Well, so now we have the evaluations. Uh, what are high performing centers actually doing with them, Dane? Well, it's kind of all over the map, and a couple of things uh, that we learned from our survey was 38% of uh, the centers are delivering coaching about these evaluations uh, once a month. 30% are doing them coaching sessions twice a month. But here was a sad, sad piece of news for me when we looked at the survey results. 40% of the centers send the evaluations to the agent via email. Now, how much our agents can learn and develop from email uh, coaching, I'm not sure. Um, so that's, you know, that's not an effective way to deliver this information. And so what we need to, again, think about is we've put all this effort into listening to and evaluating the calls but how are we going to make it effective so that we're truly changing behaviors, that our agents are, our agents' experiences that we are trying to help them be better and that we're not just looking for problems or errors. Um, and I don't think that that message comes clearly through email. Uh, we really need to be thinking about how are we going to be providing uh, that feedback and coaching in a face-to-face -face, uh, uh, scenario. Mm. Yeah, no, think about uh, when we're, you know, trying to uh, talk about things with our family members, with colleagues, with friends, and that sort of thing. Uh, email's not going to cut it. I don't know. Maybe with the younger generation, uh, we'll text it to them. But, uh, you know, I, I think some some things are still pretty timeless, and that is the fact that uh, people know that you care uh, when you're in front of them. And if you're going to have a truly mentoring-oriented call center where you are trying to get them to be the best that they can, uh, then you need to not be sending them emails, but you need to be sitting down with them and with the recording and with uh, some real good suggestions that will make them better next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so in addition to those things, what are some of the best practices that, that you see in high-performing centers? Well, I think the first one is that leadership has clearly defined what the outcomes are. And to the point that we have a mission, we're all marching together towards that. So HR uh, is screening uh, the, to get us the right people. Training is delivering the skills they need. Um, calls are evaluated uh, based on learning opportunities. I know I heard you use the term random, and I always take pause because just a random selection is not always the best. We're looking for calls that have great learning opportunities, and that's often the outlier type of calls as well. Um, mm -hmm. Agents are listening and doing some self-evaluation of performance. Calibration is formal, frequent, um, and an interesting thing is making sure that our calibration and our expectations in the QA program are also in lockstep with what our callers are anticipating and desiring from us. And then finally, good performance management. Agents are held accountable for their performance. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Okay. And so, so that means as long as the, um, the performance is properly evaluated, then people need to be held accountable. And in certain cases, uh, this is not the proper profession for some people. And this is the best way to get to that conclusion rather than, um, you know, in some other ways that are less pleasant that uh, that I think we've all experienced in the workplace. So, um, yeah, yeah, good points. And, uh, no, I agree with you with regard to which calls to listen to. And, again, uh, if you're looking for the best teachable moments, then you look for the outliers. If you want to be fair to people in terms of a statistical, um, you know, uh, sampling that they're going to be actually evaluated on at the end of the year, uh, then you need to, to be random. Uh, there's some people who simply don't have the capacity to uh, do the, um, you know, sufficient number of random calls uh, for a, a valid statistical sample, in which case they concentrate on the uh, the teachable moments and don't pretend that they're going to use this for evaluation purposes. And sometimes it's a little difficult to do that. You know, somehow the... Um, uh, the evaluation part can slip into the the management uh, of the person. So, yeah, I mean these are these are real issues need to be weighed properly and uh, and evaluated properly properly. Um, well, what are what are the newest opportunities that you see? Well, I think uh, one of the most interesting is uh, speech analytics. Um, in our from our survey, uh, fewer than five percent of centers have. Uh, thus far deployed speech analytics, but I think that's going to be a huge growth area um, in 2015 and beyond. Um, speech analytics allows me to, you know, really do an analysis of 100% of my calls. And one of the interesting things it does is also um, I can identify calls that have pitch, uh, silence, and select, have the system select those calls for us uh, for evaluation. You know, again, to those calls where we have uh, really a big opportunity uh, for learning. Um, and then analyzing the very components of the call. So what's happening during the call looking for process improvement? We're seeing more and more centers using Lean Sigma, and some of those tools. Um, mm -hmm. And then, again, uh, I'm being a little bit repetitive, but I think it's a really great point here, is using that caller satisfaction data to understand what I need to be doing during my call, but also mm -hmm. making sure that we are evaluating the things that are also important to our callers and are delivering top box caller satisfaction uh, from our callers. I think those are three big areas uh, of opportunity for us. Wow. No, I, I'd agree with all of those. That, those are great. Uh, well, these are great insights, and I noticed that uh, Brian has a couple of questions. Uh, Brian? I sure do. Uh, and this one you kind of already answered, I think, Dane, but I didn't want to ignore Molly's question. And uh, she asked, how are companies using speech analytics to evaluate calls? Uh, could you go maybe a little further into it for us? Sure. So, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to analyze 100% of your recorded calls. And some organizations are using that to identify that top box. And they've done that through word and phrase spotting, uh, both top box and bottom box. 
one client where you work with is doing something really interesting as well in the analytics is they're looking at those that are satisfied, not, not very satisfied, but satisfied, and figuring out what is different between the four and five ranking and what do they need to do to move those fours into fives. At the bottom end of that scale, uh, they're having those pulled and doing analysis. Again, do we have broken processes? Is there some commonality across uh, these very dissatisfied uh, callers? Um, and then speech analytics is going another step um, in terms of market data. Um, and so the marketing organizations are beginning to use our recorded calls to do analysis competitive analysis or, you know, product void analysis. So there's huge opportunity that we're just getting uh, started with, I believe, in speech analytics. Okay, interesting. Uh, very interesting technology for sure. Uh, I've got a couple more questions for you, and uh, this one goes back to when you talked about that kind of magical number, how many should we be doing? So Mark had the question, how many people do I need evaluating calls in a center with 90 agents if I want to do six per agent per month? Well, there's one number that's missing from that, and how long are my calls? As I said, it's the typical consultant answer. Uh, it depends. We've got to have more data to give you an exact specific answer. But again, from our survey data, it looks like generally organizations are using one QA analyst per 50 agents. Now, that's a generalization. Um, it may be right for you, but you really need to do the math in how many uh, uh, quality assessments is a QA analyst able to do per hour, and then you know do your math and figure out how, how many hours of resource do you need to deliver X number of uh, evaluations. Okay, very good. Uh, so it's not just necessarily an easy one-and-done kind of calculation. No. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dane, I, I'm I'm not really a true speech analyst, but I, I'm sensing that you are ready for another question. <laughs> sure, go ahead. <laughs> okay, one more. We're going <laughs> to switch topics. Uh, Dennis uh, wrote in to me, and um, this, this is a good one. Uh, you mentioned outsourcing of QA. Uh -huh. uh, so how does that work if they don't know your business? So that's a really interesting question, and I um, so I, I I think there are multiple steps to this. So for some centers, so there are some outsourcers out there for QA that are focused on sales organizations, and so they're evaluating sales processes. Um, they may not be evaluating all of the very fine-tuned compliance pieces. That may still uh, fall internally, but they know enough about the steps through the calibration that we've done together to know that. Um, there is another organization that focuses strictly on uh, technical help desk applications, and their QAs are certified with you know, the Microsoft certifications, et cetera. So they know that part of it, plus the, they're evaluating the experiential. So I think one of the keys is, is finding the right outsourcer that understands your particular business type. But from what I've seen and learned from other clients is it's a very intensive 
implementation process to get the outsourcer to know your business well enough to be able to do these evaluations. And sometimes it's only the soft skills. Sometimes it's the full package. Uh, but it it is a commitment, and it's not like you can walk away from the QA process once you've hired an outsourcer. They are valuable. They work well in many organizations, but there's a definite upfront commitment to making it work well. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. In other words, anytime you do outsourcing, you're still ultimately responsible and accountable for managing it. Exactly. And, uh, so you have to stay right, and you just got to stay real close to them. Make sure that it's it's done the way that uh, that you want it done, and that you need to have it done. So, um, yeah, great, great inputs. Uh, wow, we've covered a lot of territory over this uh, last half hour, and uh, you know, I would encourage everybody to take the survey uh, and to get the results because this is a great opportunity to do that. And um, you know. Uh, this is a very important area of your call center operations. Uh, if you need people to take courses so that they are really up on it and doing better, uh, you know, this is an area to make it work for your center. It's just so important. Uh, so uh, we really appreciate all the input that you had, Dane, and thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Okay, great. Well, I'll hand things over to uh, Brian now and uh, for the, the ending of uh, Call Talk for this episode. All right. Thanks, Bruce. And uh, thanks again, Dane, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. That was a lot of great things you shared with us. Thank you. I, I feel very strongly about developing a good QA program and uh, love sharing all of those experiences. Well, and I can tell through your tone that you really mean that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love the speech analytics thing. I'm going to keep going that. Okay. I <laughs> want to thank all of our listeners, too, of course, for joining us today and remind you that we have uh, lots and lots of other great topics and shows in our archive at BenchmarkPortal.com, so make sure you check that out. And also, don't forget to sign up for our free reality check. If you're looking to benchmark your contact center and see how you compare to others in your industry, well, it's real easy. That's also on our website. It's a reality check benchmark report. So uh, we're going to have another show coming up in March. You can join us then or after the fact, as always. But regardless, from all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day. Take care, everybody.